I am going to um, continue this series on dangers in the darkness. And uh, I'm going to have a lot of information on the screen, kind of like I did last week. Uh, this is more of a topical type study. I'm going to tell you guys that now because of that. Um, I think it's important that we tackle things no matter how difficult they are. And I have found out that there are a lot of things that people just get irritated if I mention or I talk about. There should not be anything, if it comes out of the Bible, that we get irritated. And I know a lot of people have different views when it comes to things like this. Uh, What I want to do is I want to have an honest conversation with you guys. As a pastor, things that I deal with on a regular basis, counseling, leading, helping people... What I found out is a lot of times if there's something that's controversial or something that's in the Bible that people view differently, that there's a lot of attitude that comes with it. There shouldn't be. Because every one of us should have the open heart to be able to say, I want to learn, I want to grow, I want to know. Even if you've already formed an opinion on this subject, you should have an open heart and saying, maybe there's something that I don't understand when it comes to this. I deal a lot with, as a pastor, broken lives, hurt marriages, addictions, had wives pour their heart out to me in my office and just say, man, my, my, my family just fell apart overnight. And just, it breaks my heart. Heart should be to say, Lord, teach us something today. This is how iron sharpens irons. So I'm going to get onto the subject of what does the Bible say about substance abuse? And I'm going to narrow in on some specific, especially when it comes to alcohol. See, growing up, you go to church and you hear that good people go to church and bad people go to bars. And there's all these statements and these things that we think about. It was just, we formulate these opinions or ideas about what's good and what's wrong. Then there's the other side of it. Most people that would say that I believe that drinking or getting drunk is wrong and being an alcoholic is bad. But to have a beer with a friend or wine that calms me down or, or, or go to the bar and chill out after a long week or whatever, it puts me in a better mood, it loosens me up, it helps me deal with life. So there's these two sides. And what I realize is that we have a generation now that literally is putting off a lot of things and saying, hey, this is regular part of life, this is part of culture, everybody does it, it's not a big deal, you're old-fashioned, you're an old fogey. Uh, we, we have liberty in Christ. The Bible even mentions wine. Jesus turned water into wine. All these different issues. But then we read verses like Proverbs 20, verse 1. If you want to mark these down, turn to them, take notes, whatever. And if you guys noticed last time that I did the series, I didn't give you the notes till later because what I realized is we get caught up in the notes sometimes and, and I want to get through it and, and help you with it and then equip you with that afterwards. So we will make this stuff available. Proverbs chapter 20, verse 1. Wine is a mocker. Strong drink is raging. And whoever, whosoever is, not, is deceived by, thereby is not wise. Wine is a mocker. It makes a fool or a joke out of you. Strong drink is raging. It makes war. It talks about it being de- deceiving you. Whoever is deceived thereby, or it's a de- the, the art of deception that comes from it. You see, Christians reading this and ask the question, so why, why would God give us something in one moment? And this is, I'm just, guys, I'm just being real with you. I, I, I think we don't have enough real conversations when it comes to this stuff. I'm going to say things that you guys are going to sit there and go, well, where are you going with this? Or what, what is he saying? Because we, we either skip around some passages and say, well, I can't fully explain that, so I just won't mention it. Or 
We, we, we won't dig into it enough to actually do it. So people come out and say, yeah, he got on this subject, but you notice how he skipped this, this, and this. I don't want to skip anything. I, I, I want to put it all on the table. I, 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 I want to do it. I want to, I want to just... And, and that's why we have to be real. Where the Bible says, come let us reason together. Let's say it to the Lord. Let's, let's sit down and talk about this. And the best thing that's going to come out of this is we're going to sharpen one another, make each other better through this. But we, we read these two sides of it. The one thing is like, Jesus turned water into wine, and they had a great, great party at the feast. And then the other side of it is, don't do it. You know, it's like, which one's right? It's like, I'm confused. It's like, do you do it or not do it? Do you warn, why, why would you have a warning? Because if the Bible gives you a warning to something, the warning normally comes of a danger. But then all of a sudden, we have something that we're also lifting up as good. And it's just, it's confusing. It breeds confusion. God is not the author of confusion. So I think we have to look at this differently. Because I am a Christian. Because I'm a Christian, there's a way that I'm supposed to live. And, and I, I think if we stop and look at everything the same way, I mean, I'm going to illustrate this a little bit, just so you know that this is not the real deal. I bought this from Walmart, and it is grape juice. So everybody's like, yeah, he's going to preach on it, and he's going to go buy it himself, and like there. So for the sake of illustration, thank you, Welches, for contributing to our service today. Take, one, take this issue right here, and we're, we're talking about wine, alcohol, whatever, however you want to work but I, I, I want to I take this to an extreme when it comes to this and help everybody here. Let's, let's take this off the table, and this could represent a whole slew of things right here. Let, let's, let's get real. Let's take that off the table. And not, I'm not visualizing. Just work with your imagination. Let's say I put heroin, crack cocaine, uh, and meth, whatever, whatever you want to put on, and the, the drugs, especially heroin, that's ripping Columbus, Ohio apart. What, what if I, as, as a pastor, was to put that there, and all of a sudden it's like, now you're talking, that's wrong, I know it's wrong, and everybody would sit there and say, woohoo, I agree with that. Yeah, and praise the Lord, it's tearing our city apart. From the world's perspective, they might look at it and say, well, it's my life, I can do whatever I want. It's how I deal with life, it's how I get through life, whether it's abusing prescription drugs to get me through the day, or whether it's a matter of my life is so terrible that if I didn't have that, I wouldn't even want to wake up tomorrow morning. And I've learned to cope through life by having that. It helps me to have fun. It's how I party. What would you say to them? Christians, what would you say to them? You get up to them and say, well, it's bad. Well, that's great. Thank you for that great advice. It's bad. You know, it's like, it's bad. It can hurt you. It can kill you. Are all these true facts? Yes. But people still do it. The deeper question is why? What leads them to do and be part of such destructive behavior? What leads them to the point where all the warning signs are there? See, Satan's doing an incredible job of destroying lives. Can we all agree with that? I mean, we, we are seeing devastation, and all of a sudden, when it comes to church, it's like, well, don't talk about it. People will be offended. Don't talk about it. People will be upset. Well, we have to talk about it. Let's, let's talk about it. How many of you in this room have either been affected yourself or somebody in your family by drugs one way or the other? Raise your hand. Okay, that's probably half the room or two-thirds of the room. Let's be real. It's a problem. What are we doing about it? We're not doing anything by not talking about it, not dealing with it, not opening the thing. And, and people are dealing with depression and rejection and desire to be accepted and, and all these things that they're going with. 
Do you have a Bible verse that you would give them to say, listen, brother in Christ, don't do that. Or even somebody that's in the world to lead them to something else. And you say, listen, everything you're getting from that is a substitute from what Jesus Christ is to give real joy and satisfaction and answers in life. We know that. So what do you tell them? We're being real this morning, right? Can, can I put smoking and vaping on this as well? Is that okay? Sit there and say, oh, you just crossed the line. <laughs> say, I, I struggle with that. Let, let, let's just lay something out there right now. There's not anybody in this room that's any better than anybody else. Can we put that out there right now? You're going to look over your shoulder and snub somebody and say, well, I saw a pack of cigarettes or a thing, you know, thing of chew or whatever. It's like we're going to snub our nose. There is none of us that have come here perfect people. The reason why we did come here is because we're not perfect people. Always striving to know him more and to be like him and stuff. But, but the, these are real issues. And you sit there and say, Pastor Tony, people struggle with it. Trust me, when my mom and dad got saved, they both struggled with it. I know that. My aunt, my uncle, my grandparents, the whole family all had that. I'm not sitting there saying, like, you're oblivious to this. No. And it, it has attributes of it to, that is so addictive that it's one of the hardest things. So God bless you if you're here today and you're trying to quit. And you're saying, man, it's one of the hardest things I've ever done. Man, we pray for you. We get behind you. We, we, we back you up and try to help you with that. That's not a matter of us condemning you. You, you guys can judge us for this, but I'll tell you, we, we have an ashtray at the back of this door over here because we have a recovery group, and a lot of them struggle with that. <laughs> we understand that. I'm not condoning it, but I, I'm, I'm trying to help people when it comes to this. We're... Um, we're, we're at it. Let's just hit everything, okay? <laughs> it's already quiet in here. Why not? Could, could we put gluttony on, the, on this? Do, do you know how often we, we sit there and, and go to church? And I grew up with hearing pastors preach, and they'd preach the pain off the walls when it comes to every substance abuse that you could think of. And then they, they'd be 500 pounds and brag about eating fried chicken for lunch, not being critical. But if the whole thing is these things are destructive of your body and your bio, 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 body is the temple of God, then why in the world could we justify one thing and then we overlook it? And then that's what, that's what hurts the younger generation when they sit there and say, yeah, you'll skip everything and only talk about the some sins and some things. Say, so why, why is it wrong or is it wrong? We, we, we lay everything on the table when it comes to this. Man, I don't even want to mention caffeine because we, we'd have half the church get up and walk out. And the, we wouldn't have had Sunday school this morning if we didn't have caffeine. Sugar and white mocha pumps in it at Starbucks. Not getting on my sin. Not even saying that it's sin. But what makes it sin? Or is it sin? Can it become sin? You sit there and say, no, don't, just don't. I'm the, I didn't come here today for all that. I came here to be edified. Well, guess what I'm trying to do? <laughs> It's in the Bible, it's, it, it's there for our edification. It's there to be real with, real issues. I want to be a pastor that hits real issues. And I know this isn't necessarily an expository study as much as it's a topical thing, but I think this is a huge issue, and it's hurting us. I, I did a study, and I, I literally going through it and saying, Lord, I want to understand this. So I started doing a study just on the word wine because the wine is in the Bible. It's all through the Bible. So let me, let me put this back on the table since this is one of the things that we're talking about. And we'll go back to some of the other stuff as well. 
Wine is mentioned over, well over 200 times in Scripture. It started in Genesis, going all the way through the New Testament. It was a huge part of their culture. So to sit there and say, it's not in the Bible, wake up, it's in the Bible. It's, it's mentioned a lot. Big part of it. Why? Why? Because during their time, they did not have clean drinking water like we do today. Uh, There's still true in a lot of countries. If you go to a foreign country, I, I can't even drink the water. A lot of people are like that when you travel like that. Today, we have bottled water and stuff like that, so it's a little different. So, and, and it's hard for us to understand this concept because we can just walk to a water fountain right on the lobby or go by a place and get drinking water. It's not a big deal. It was not so in the Bible. If you drank of the water, it'd make you very sick because a lot of it was impure. So clean drinking water was not available, but the fruit of the vine provided a safe means of hydration. So it was a necessary part of their life. It was a big part of their life. This is why the Bible speaks so much when it comes to these kind of things. Um, it's also why there's so much confusion, because you have things where there's so much confusion, where it's about the wine, 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 and every time you mention the word wine in the Bible, it can mean something different. That's why you have different passages that sit there and talk about wine in one sense of good, and then another sense it would be warning against, because it's talked about in different ways. So in the Bible, let me give you some examples. In Isaiah 65, verse 8, Thus saith the Lord, as new wine is found in the cluster. Or just stop and think about that for a minute. What is the wine referencing in that passage right there? It's talking about the grape, talking about it's found in the cluster. So there's an example of wine in the Bible, not used as an alcoholic beverage, but wine in the Bible using as, actually, as the grape itself. It says that. Jeremiah 48, verse 33, Joy and gladness is taken from the plentiful field and from the land of Moab, and I have caused wine to fall from the wine press. Literally, from the very beginning stages of it, use the word wine associated with the juice itself. Hasn't been fermented, hasn't been touched, hasn't been altered, hasn't been changed. Then you have in the Bible where it makes a distinction between the two. Uh, Judges 13 verse 14, she may not eat of anything that cometh from the vine, neither let her drink wine or strong drink. There's a, there's a line that says, I'm going to talk about strong drink, which was intoxicated of that beverage, and then it also wine. It makes a line there. So it draws a distinction between the two. So there are three Hebrew words that talk and translate into wine. We have these three separate words that are there. One's talking about intoxication, one's talking about fresh grape juice, and one's talking about intense alcohol. So there's three variations of that when we have those three different terms. And the New Testament translated in two different words. One is wine, which is generic, that is over all three of them. And the other one is sweet wine or fresh juice. And so you have these. A, a perfect illustration of this is when we were talking about love. A lot of you guys were here for that sermon series. And I put the chart. It was talking about the three different types of love. Phileo and agape and eros. And, and talking about there's a different definition for the different types of love. One's a sensual love. One's a brotherly love. One's a friendship love. One's a natural love like a parent. They're different. It's the same thing in the Bible. So in Luke 1.15, when they're talking about separating themselves. For he shall be great in the sight of the Lord and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. Made a distinction. They're not the same thing. I'm going to, the Bible's literally saying it's talking about the same thing, but he separates them and says there's two different things that I'm talking about when it comes to this. Now you guys can kind of see why there's so much confusion. Because you could look up one word in the Bible and it say wine, and then you can say, oh, it's okay. But the Bible could be talking about anything during that time. There's even confusion when it comes to that, even within that. 
See, once the grape has been smashed, the yeast on the skin combines with natural sugars and begins a fermentation process. Sometimes it would take a long time. Sometimes it was a short length of time. The amount of natural sugar, where it was grown, the amount of water that was involved in it, how they diluted it, the temperature involved in it. So all of a sudden, even within their natural process, they could have had something that was mentioned in the wine or in the Bible that had a small amount of alcohol in it from the very beginning. Part of that was the preservation process that God created in there. Not bringing it to the level of intoxication, but because if, if they did that, literally everybody that traveled would be walking around stammering. So it couldn't have been that. If their everyday drink was alcoholic to the point of getting everybody drunk, everybody would have been drunk because that was as common to them as like us drinking water. So there, you know it had to be that. But the, little, the less the sugar, the less the alcohol. So they would even make strong drink by heating it up, adding in sugar, which would combine with the yeast that would make it more fermented, which would make strong drink. Very similar to the way it is today. But let me even say as a blanket statement as we get into there, what they had in Bible days is for their processes and technology of what they could produce and all that and the heat and add and the science and everything, not even comparable to Bible days. So a lot of times we're not even comparing apples to apples. Not saying they didn't have strong drink, but I promise you in the Bible days, they could not walk into a bar and order what you have today for when it comes to that. They would take them a whole bottle of something to get what we get in a shot today. It wasn't even comparable. So a lot of times we get caught up in this and we're comparing these two, the cultures together. And if we were to go back and compare, you'd be like, oh, wow, it's not even remotely the same as what they had back then. Obviously, we've advanced in everything that we have, especially when it comes to things like this. But it brings us to these questions, which ones are okay? Now, everyone would come out and say, I know it's okay. The line of getting drunk or intoxicated. Come back next week and we're going to tackle that as well. I'm doing this in two parts. So there's a lot of things that you're going to say, man, I totally don't get everything that you were saying. Which ones are okay? Is there any of them okay? Is there a limit? Is it, is it a matter of moderation? So what I want to do is I want to start with the big picture. And I want to ask you guys questions. You're saved, you have the Spirit of God living inside of you. If you're saved, you have the Word of God that speaks to your heart. So I don't have to sit here with a billy club and try to beat you up or try to convince you to be like this Baptist preacher that's trying to tell you to do something. We have the Spirit of God that convinces us, opens our eyes, and leads us through these things. So let's start in light of all that the Bible teaches when it comes to this. Because we can all agree that the Bible will not contradict itself. Thank you, all four of you. <laughs> the Bible will not contradict itself. It would not be truth. If this said one thing in one part and this said another thing and they were contrary, how would you know if one, that means one was right and one was wrong? If that's true in the Bible, I don't know what to believe. But the Bible is very clear. Thy word is truth. The word of God is truth from the beginning to the end. It is truth. So I'm going to challenge you guys to, for the rest of the day and next week. Allow me to examine this, stir your hearts, and think about this. So question number one. Remember, we're doing this about everything. Number one, does it destroy or hurt the body? Does it destroy or hurt the body? 1 Corinthians 3.16. Know ye that ye are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you. You are the dwelling place of God. I want to preach on this again soon. I, I love this. 
Because we sit there and we'll say something about it. And I know, I know what we mean by this and say this building is the house of God. I can see the terminology related, but this building is not the house of God. You are the house of God. Do you know why that's so important? Because if I view this place as the house of God, I can walk out of the house of God and do whatever I want. But then we go into the building and say, shh, don't say that. You're in church. No, literally meaning if I'm at a bar or if I'm at a party, wherever I'm at, I am the house of God because the Spirit of God dwells inside me. So I know it's just terminology when we say something like, welcome to God's house this morning, let's worship. That's okay, but I don't want us getting messed up when we say that because God doesn't live here. He doesn't live here, doesn't have a bedroom back here that he comes out and says, oh, everybody showed up today. Thank you for coming to see me. No, the Spirit of God lives inside of you, literally meaning whatever you do, wherever you go, he goes with you. If any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy, for the temple of God is holy. Which temple are ye? See, the word defile means to wither, to spoil, to ruin, to corrupt, destroy. So how does this fit in there? If we were to come back out and say, oh, let's examine the heroin or whatever, we'd all say, why is it bad? Why should Christians not take something in their body that destroys it? Because it destroys your body, destroys your mind, destroys the outcome, ruins families and all this other stuff. The things that God gives us builds up, edifies, and makes better, does not destroy. Should be coming in every person's mind. I don't care what it is. We're not going to get there when somebody sits there. And, and, and by the way, let's take the same illustration with smoking. Once again, I'm not beating anybody up. And I'm, not, I'm not trying to make anybody walk out of here feeling uh, wounded. But it's just dressing the issues for what it is. You look on the side of a pack of cigarettes and all of a sudden it has a warning that's very clear. And it says, this causes cancer and can lead to death. You say, why would you sit there and like pastors just get on their soapbox? And then the reason why I'm putting it like this, because the Bible doesn't come out and say, thou shalt not smoke. Doesn't say that. So all of a sudden, there's a lot of things that we justify in our lives and say, well, the Bible doesn't say I can't watch, you know, Playboy. Doesn't say you can't watch Playboy, but it says I will set no wicked thing before mine eyes. There's certain things that we put ourselves in check with the principles of God's word that leads us to righteousness. We have to understand the big picture. That's why we talk about a lot of these things that are on there. We should not be doing things that destroy the body. The Bible tells us very clear that, when, when, let, let me say that's the reason for gluttony as well. Let me say I say that very sensitively when I say that because my family has very, very been affected by that one issue through my past. I don't have time to get into it, but just say I speak from a very sensitive spot in my life when I say that. I know what I'm talking about. It does. It hurts. It destroys. And I'm not looking across here saying, oh, look at everybody, all these people that are struggling. No, we all struggle. But it's a matter of understanding that we have the temple of God and we're to take care of it. We're stewards of what God has given us. And if the doctor said, listen, there's a problem in your life that is going to bring you down or destroy your life, we need to step back and say, I need to take attention to that because my body belongs to God. Why? He said in 1 Corinthians 6, 19, what? Know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which you which is in you, which you have out of God, and you are not your own. By the way, for you are bought with a price. 
He'll sit there and say, I'll do what I want. Stop, Christian. No, you won't. You can have that attitude, but it's the wrong attitude. It doesn't matter. You're bought with a price. Therefore, because God bought you, glorify God in your body, which belongs to God. It's not yours. So all of a sudden, we live by God's rule book, not our rule book. And I don't care what the world says or anybody on entertainment tonight or anybody else that sits there and talks about what is popular and fun and good. No, our body belongs to God. We take it so much about how, who am I hurting? And God takes it to the level of size, who are you helping? It's not selfish. It's not just about, I'm not hurting anybody. I'll do what I want. I'll hide it. I'll do this. I'll do that. God says, no, 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 it's not. It's not about that. You are here to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ and to advance the gospel through your life and testimony. It's not just about you. Every place you go, you bring the temple of God. It's our vessel. We need to take care of it, biblically speaking. Number two, does it build up or tear down our life family, and culture? It's a question that we need to ask. Because here's the reason why I say that. Second Corinthians 10, 8, when Paul was addressing the church, and remember, we're, we talked about the sexual sins out of the church of Corinth of what they were dealing with. For though I should boast somewhat more of our authority, which the Lord hath given us for our edification. You know, I, I understand what God does. And not for your destruction. I should not be ashamed. I'm going to make a fact when it comes to the Bible of what God's given us. When God gives us something to be put into our lives, it builds us up. It does not tear us down. Are we, are we getting there? And you sit there, and the reason why I'm saying that is because we could go to every passage, and we are going to go to passages when it comes to these things, sit there and argue and debate well, in Luke chapter 1, verse 23, the, the Greek word for uh, wine is actually this, and the past tense, da, 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 and we, we get into all these things, and we start arguing. I want to do that. That's a good thing. But at the same time, if, if you're trying to prove that, that we, we have to take everything the Bible says, and if it's going to go into my life, it needs to be filtered by the Word of God first. Is, is that understandable? For, as, as Christians... If it's going to come into my life, no matter what it is, it needs to be filtered by the Word of God. Because the Bible is what tells us what's good and acceptable in the perfect will of God. We need to know that. It will not destroy you if it comes from God. It will not lead you astray. It will not tempt you to sin. James 1.17, for every good gift and every perfect gift comes from above. You want to know what God gives you? Good and perfect. That's what God gives us. Coming down from the Father of lights, whom there is no variableness. God puts that in there. You know why? Because we sit there and say, well, it's either this, this, or this. Or this passage says this, and this passage. And God says, wait, stop. When it comes to the things of God, there is no variableness. That literally means this. It does not change. It says, neither shadow of turning. The shadow of turning, we're literally talking about the sun coming up and the sun coming down. Throughout the day, it comes with the sunset, the sunrise, the sun in the middle, the sun going down, and it's all these shadows and changes. The Bible says, listen, when it comes to the things of God, God doesn't say one thing and put a second slant on another and then change it the next minute. And you sit there and say, if you think it's like that, God doesn't do that. You know how confused we would be if it was that way? You, you, you can imagine going through life saying, it's wrong, it's right, it's good, it's bad. I don't know. 
I don't know. God doesn't do that. God doesn't do good sometimes and bad sometimes. So I asked you the question, does it build up or tear down lives, family, and culture? We have to look at that with everything. Let's look at it from this perspective of society today. Each year in the United States, 85,000 people die from alcohol-related causes, making it the third leading preventable cause of death in our country. Globally, alcohol is the fifth leading risk uh, or factor for premature death and disability among people between the ages of 15 and 49. Alcohol in college students, the researchers estimate that each year, uh, 1,825 college students between the ages of 18 and 24 will die from alcohol-related injuries, either intentional or unintentional, all related to alcohol. Uh, 696,000 students between the ages of 18 and 24 are assaulted by another student who has been drinking. 97,000 students between the ages of 18 and 24 are victims of alcohol-related sexual assault or rape issues. I would not even want today to, to start that statistic and say how many of you have been sexually assaulted in some way. But I tell you, literally with the statistics of the majority of those times come from people not being in their right mind. From the third and fourth special report of the United States Congress on alcohol and health, medical studies have showed that a drink of alcohol shortens one's lifespan by 20 minutes. There's an estimated 11 to 70 million alcoholics in America. Americans spend $50 billion a year on alcohol. The government estimated that alcohol problems cost the American economy $68.6 billion a year. More than 25,000 people a year are killed on the highways due to alcohol. One person dies every 20 minutes in an alcohol-related accident. 83% of all fire fatalities are all alcohol-related. 50 to 60% of all drownings are due to alcohol. 65% of all children abuse is alcohol-related. 750,000 people suffer injury due to alcohol-related accidents. We're talking about rape, abuse, car accidents, things like that. 200,000 people die every year due, due to alcohol consumption alone, either by themselves, DUI, murder, abuse, something like that. You look at that and you say, wow, that is great. No, we don't look at that and say that is great. This is why we have to have real conversations. Honestly, you know, we're all affected by it and we're like, holy cow, this is, this is not just an issue. This is literally like a tsunami of issues coming into our, our, our society. And then we sit there and say, well, pastor can't talk about it. Let's not talk about it. Well, I believe, I believe, I, we all have our beliefs. But none of us can debate the facts of how it's hurting us. And we say, you, you say, why are you saying that? Because it's confusing to me. Can I just be honest? Can I just sit here and say, here's Tony. It's confusing to me to be able to sit there and say that God as the foundation of all of those issues. I don't get it. I don't get it. I don't understand it. Because I, I, I sit there and I, I, I deal with this so much. And you know, you know, you know what I do? I, somebody comes into my office or I sit down and talk to somebody and they're talking about a porn issue. And they're addicted, they're addicted, they're addicted. They don't start by watching porn. They start by one look, one glance, one temptation, whatever. And you see there at the very beginning, they open the door and they get on this journey. And all of a sudden, it leads to ruining their marriage. It leads to all those things. You know what I realize when it comes to porn? 
You go back to the beginning and God says, guard your heart, guard your eyes, look the other way. Don't look at it. Lust not after her beauty. Don't go in that way. Don't let it in your eye gate. Stop, stop, stop. Why is it that we do that with every single issue? If I was talking about drugs and we say that drugs is an issue, you sit down and go to your kids and say, watch who you hang out with, watch the parties. You know what you do? You go to the beginning of the problem to see how you got to the end of the problem. This is the only issue we refuse to do that with. It is. Because no ever, nobody ever started off as an alcoholic. No everyone planned to kill. All those statistics, if you were to go to every single person on that list, they would go back to the beginning and say, you know what, I just wanted some fun. I just needed to loosen up. I, I just, I, it, just, it was just one time. It, was all this. it, it all has a beginning. But it's the only thing that we sit there and say, once you're 21, enjoy. And then I'm like, whoa, wait a minute. How how does this add up? See, let me tell you, when it talks about God, let me tell you about my God. Can Can I just tell you about my God? Matthew 6, 13, when it talks about the Lord's Prayer, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. That's my God. Can I tell you that's my God? My God does not lead me into temptation. But let me tell you, he does. He delivers me. He rescues me. He pulls me out of evil. It's what my God does. I don't get it. Let, let, let me just tell you, I, the sit there and, and open the door and bring people into this journey and then they sit there and say, I got here because of the, all the blessings that I read in the Bible that celebrate drinking. And I'm thinking, how could you get there when God has made me a promise that he would never lead me into temptation? He would never put me on that path to begin with. Say, so how, do, how do people get drunk, lose control, whatever? Because it is something that the Bible says that takes over. Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God, for God can not be tempted with either. Neither tempteth he any man. Circle the cannot. L- literally meaning, God's saying, you cannot, cannot be tempted with evil. And say that it came from God. But how does it happen? But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. And lust, when it is finished... Bringeth forth, is, hath conceived, bringeth forth sin, and sin when it is finished, bringeth forth death. Do not err, my beloved brother. Let me ask you again, how, how does it edify? How does it build you up? How does it make you better? How does it, how has it proved marriages, people, moms, dads across? In all my years of pastoring, I'm waiting for this to come into my life. I'm waiting for it, okay? This is what I'm waiting for. Somebody walk into my office and say, Pastor, can I just talk to you for a minute? Pastor, we were doing horrible, but praise the Lord, we're now paying off more bills. We're getting along. I'm a better mom. I'm a better dad. Caught up on our bills. And then say, well, what changed? What what happened? Man, I started drinking. Man, everything just got better. (laughs) Just waiting for it. All I want is one story. Just give me one. Give me one. Do any of you have a story like that? It's just like, man, everything... Man, everything flipped around once I started drinking. Man, praise God. Man, things got so good. Can I tell you the other side of it? The weeping, the accidents, 
hospital visits. I had, a, I, had a, I had a hospital visit one time, and I'm sitting there talking. A man overheard me praying, pulled back the curtain. He said, he just did this. Walked to the other side. He asked me to pull the curtain. He was 22 years old waiting for a liver transplant. He said, man, if I, I don't know how I got on this road. It happened young and all this other stuff. And I'm, do you understand that? My, and you sit there and say, well, you're looking at this bias. Maybe I am. But I just can't sit there and see God in any of it. I, I, I can't see the touch of God. And you say, well, wait a minute. There's passages in the Bible. We're not done yet. <laughs> Give me a chance. We'll get there. You say, why, why are you doing this, Pastor Tony? Because I'm going to end with this question right here. Why does the Bible warn against it? Just, just blanket, just that. Why did God warn against it? If, if I'm going to come to you and say to anybody here and just say, hey, hey w- w- watch out, guys. Hey, over here, watch out, watch out. Hey, hey w- w- look out, look out, look out. You, you, you'd sit there and say, well, thank you, Pastor Tony. We, we'd sit there and go, okay, I don't think I'm going to go around that. You know, I'm just, you know if, I, if, if anything in life or society happened like that, a warning literally means to, to beware of something. So the Bible says that we should be aware of Satan lest we should uh, be, we're not ignorant of his devices. So we go to Proverbs 23, verse 29. It says, who have woe, who have sorrows, who have contentions, who have babblings, who have wounds without cause, who have redness of eyes. Now it says this, they that tarry long at the wine. And all of a sudden you sit there and say, okay, that's talking about excessive drinking or getting drunk. They that seek mixed wine. And that's talking about strong drinks because they added something to it. We get that. Sit there and say, see, it's talking about drunkenness or excessiveness or taking it too far. Here's what it says in verse 31. Look not, warning, upon the wine when it is red, when it giveth its color in the copper, when it moveth itself. Literally talking about the fermentation of what it's saying. It says, don't, don't, let me, let me tell you what you need to be aware of. It's, it's given the written warning here. And then it describes the wine. At the last, it biteth like a serpent and stingeth like an adder. It's a description, very vivid. It's talking about biting like a serpent. A serpent strikes when you least expect it. So what it was saying, that's how any person that has ever lost control, any person that's ever got addicted, the literally description of the Bible is saying when you least expect it, the poison comes into you and it does its effect. Reminds us of the, the first serpent in the Bible. When, the, when they walked right up to the serpent in the Bible. And this same description of that. Everything's okay. We've got this. No, they didn't. And then it always affects others. It strikes and affects. You wanna, let me just tell you how. Thine eyes shall behold strange women. Thine heart shall be utter perverse things. Thou shalt be as he that lieth down in the midst of the sea. He shall lieth upon the top of the mast. Talking about being on a ship where he can't control himself. They have stricken me. Thou shalt say, I was not sick. They have beaten me. He's talking about how he feels. I have felt it not. When shall I awake? I will, yet, I will seek it yet again. Talking about the addiction that goes with it. And he says, be not deceived. You say, why is this? You say, Pastor Tony, can I just say, and this is an argument, I'll close with this. If you're going to get on this, God also created food. And food also can lead to high blood pressure, obesity, all those other things. And so, so what do we do? We control food. And we, we, we have that argument, I've heard that my whole life. It's, it's on the same thing. 
Food is not the controlling agent. Can you guys hear me? Food is not the controlling agent. It's our weak flesh that is the controlling agent. That's what people don't understand. See, people overeat not because of the addictive nature of pizza, but because of their weak flesh that wants the pizza. See, the Bible does not compare food to a viper. Never does it compare food to a viper. The Bible does not warn against a venom of food, it does not, but it does warn against the flesh. It's a different subject. There's no takeover effect with food. Let me prove it. No cop has ever pulled someone over for weaving and pulled them over and said, where have you been? And you have to respond, I've been at a buffet all night, sir. <laughs> How many slices of pizza did you have, sir? Can you get out of the car? Now, you, you might have, you know, you might need Tums and you have indigestion, but I'm not saying that you've lost control. See, the reason why the Bible is talking about this totally separate than food, and you say food has that. Yes, and the Bible talks about all that too. I'm not kidding. Hey, that's a thing. Because it also leads to a thing. We're talking about a different thing because all of a sudden this strikes back. This has a power that once it gets in, and, and we, we need to talk about that as well doesn't edify. And he says in 1 Corinthians 10, 23, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are expedient. And then he gets into this and it says this about everything. All things are lawful for me, but all things edify not. The Bible is very clear about what he has put into our lives and what God has for our lives. And that is to make Christians and people stronger. Because I know, let me say right now, I know some of you are sitting there going, I, I love this church, but if he's going to start stepping on this, I, I get that. I, I know this is so sensitive. It's a problem. It's what, that's what's bothering me is it's, it's a problem with our kids. It's a problem in marriages. It's a problem that's hidden. It's a problem that's affecting families. It's, it's a problem that's affecting churches. And so we sit there and just say, I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to not talk about it. I don't want to be a pastor that sees issues and I look the other way. I, I, I want to sit there and see families that are being destroyed and then we put band-aids on the issues. We've got to be real. And sometimes it means that I'm going to talk about things that you might not agree. But that's okay. I'm just asking you to listen. Because it's not my job whatsoever to change your heart and mind. You're bought with a price. You're saved. You have the Spirit of God living inside of you. And I'm not going to give an account for you, give an account of how I pastor and what I do, and if I didn't do my job. But when you walk out of here, it's up to you. But as I stand there and wave my arms and say, there's something in the darkness, and it's not good. When they come out of that, all I see is wounded, hurt, abused, messed up, and destroyed lives. I'm going to blow the whistle on it. 